0: Please stand for the reading of god 's word. today we are reading ephesians three fourteen through nineteen and that 's on page five sixty eight in the blue Bibles and I'd just like to remind you that you can take a Bible home if you need one it 's our gift to you and that 's on page five sixty eight ephesians three fourteen through nineteen For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Thus says God's word.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You that it is for us. It is bread. It is life. God, we thank You for that. And we pray that we would be transformed. God, from the very uh, most uninitiated, newest believer to the to the one uh, that has been following You for years, God, to the one who has not yet begun to follow You, Lord, we pray that Your Word would change us, that it would have a powerful effect on us today. And so, God, we surrender our hearts to You. We ask that You would bless our ears and our souls to the hearing of Your Word. God, I pray for myself that I would preach, God, in a way that brings honor and glory to You and not in a way that... um, that that brings any attention to myself, Lord. I pray that you would just be satisfied uh, with the way that I handle your Word by your Spirit today. Father, I thank you for all of this. I ask you to just uh, be near to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I wanted to make a real quick, uh, just announcement. Uh, most of you by this time, or all of you, should have received via email uh, your giving statement for 2020. And uh, we we want to make sure we we haven't done it like this before, so we want to make sure there's no technical difficulties. If you have not received that, or uh, or if you had trouble with it, see Judy. Where are you at, Judy? Oh, there she is. Wave your hand real high so everyone can see. It. See Judy before the end of the service, or not during. During the service but after the service and uh, she'll help you out with that so uh, thank you for your attention to that So last week we began a a series, it's going to be a really small series, in fact we're wrapping it up today, and we were discussing the ways that Jesus ministers grace to us. The idea was that God has ordained or established means of grace, vehicles uh, of grace, where, where grace channels, if you want to call it that, of grace that come to us. And there's three ways that God ministers grace to us. The first one is through common grace. Now a lot of you have heard that term. Common grace is simply the ways that God's goodness is seen by all humanity. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or non-believer. God shows His goodness. The Bible says, for example, that it rains on the just and the unjust. Um, So we see His goodness in things like rain and crops, uh, when our bodies naturally heal themselves and recover from illness, when we experience beauty. That is common grace. Everybody gets to share in it, and it's a way that God has left a witness for himself in this world. But then we moved on to extraordinary means of grace. And by that, I mean things that are unexplainable outside of the the reality of God. Uh, Things like miracles, things like amazing interventions of divine providence. When God comes through, when you're in a pinch, raise your hand if that's ever happened to you, where God comes through. I'm glad to see most of you are raising your hands. Most of the others of you would be raising your hands if you were paying attention, because God is always moving and showing his, his great power in our lives. There are things that wouldn't happen without the clear working of God's power in our daily circumstances, and every one of us has testimony of those sort of things. Now, what we learned last week is that these kinds of things are rare, um, They are, and because they're rare, they're therefore unpredictable. Now, some of you were in churches, and I grew up in a church, where we we focused all of our efforts. On trying to persuade God to bring about change in our circumstances, change in our inner being, change in our lives through only extraordinary means, it was always about the big thing that we expected God to do. But what I've discovered um, after being a Christian for you know thirty some odd years is that God generally tends to move in my life, and you you might see this in yourself. It's slowly and by small degrees. God takes shots; he doesn't use drop a nuclear bomb to to bring about the change that he wants to bring about in my life. And I think that part of the reason that he does it like this is so that I will cling closely to him. Think about that. If if God only used extraordinary means of grace and solved all of my problems with one miraculous event, I would probably, because I know how my heart drifts, I would probably not find the need to press into him very much. Is anybody in here like me in that regard? Um, And so he, he moves slowly most of the time. And so therefore, last week, what we did is we focused most of our attention on a third category, which we call not extraordinary, but ordinary means of grace. And these are the ways that God has clearly ordained for His grace in Christ to be experienced by us, where, where we grow and where we change and where uh, the things that, that that facilitate our becoming more like Jesus. Now, they may seem commonplace. I said last week, very bluntly, that there's nothing sexy about ordinary means of grace. But, but they are, when, when you understand what God is doing through ordinary means of grace, they are are powerful in their working. So last week, to make this point, we focused as our text on 2 Corinthians 3.18, and it says this, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now in this verse, we saw two things that are necessary for you and I to change in our Christian life. One is looking to Christ. That's what Paul means when he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. To behold means to look. And so looking at Christ, looking towards Christ, gazing upon Him, is one of the first things that we have to have in order to change. And he said, and the second thing we need is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul makes this point as well. He says, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we look to Christ, receiving grace primarily through ordinary means of grace. Um, now two of these things that we talked about last week are the Scriptures uh, and prayer. We talked about how we actually see Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through the things written about Him and, and written concerning Him in Scriptures. And, and then we have a very unique position as believers to be able to go right into his throne room and behold his power and his grace as we pray. These things are indispensable ways that we look upon Jesus. In fact, I want to make a further case I didn't make strongly last week, but you cannot see Christ Jesus apart from the word and from prayer. You can't do it. It's not possible. Today, um, we're going to cover two more ordinary means of grace grace that we have to utilize. And those are the sacraments, which by that I'm I'm speaking of baptism and the Lord's Supper and the church. And and we're going to look more deeply into the role also of the Holy Spirit in all of this. So, with that as kind of a a setup, um, let's move on. In our text last week, Paul says that we do not become more like Christ and live lives filled with His grace at work in us apart from the activity of the Holy Spirit. It is not something that you will uh, accomplish or obtain by your best efforts. That's what he means. We already quoted this portion of the Scripture in 2 Corinthians three eighteen, where he says, This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So when we believe... At the moment you believe, the Spirit of God is given to you to empower you so that you can live by God's design. It's not something that you could do before you believed, before the Spirit was given to you, but now that you have believed and the Spirit has been given to you, you can live by God's design. Not perfectly, but progressively. He convicts us of our sin, the Holy Spirit, on the inside of us. And He frees us from its entanglements progressively. And He is also... the One of the most beautiful things the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit is that He is the down payment of everything that we will receive in the coming life. What that means is the closeness with God, the power of God that's revealed to us through Him, the wisdom of God that comes through the Holy Spirit, all of that is a foretaste. It's a foreshadowing of what will be given to us in abundance when we cross the river and we stand on the other side. And what a day that's going to be. Amen? Amen. Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit in his great teaching in John 14, 15, and 16 about the Holy Spirit's ministry. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance uh, all that I have said to you. So we, I'm making the point that I made earlier. We cannot look upon Jesus apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And some of the things he uses for us to be able to do that are the scriptures and prayer. God, uh, or I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit teaches us everything we need to know about Jesus. There is nothing that you need to know about Jesus that the Holy Spirit cannot or will not teach you. That's important to know. He is enthroned at this very moment. If you're truly a believer, he's enthroned as God on the very inside of you. Right now, God is living on the inside of you. He reminds you from that vantage point of everything that Christ has said to us. And yet, many of us, very many of us, most of us at one time or another in fact, live virtually unaware of the daily powerful presence of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And because we we live unaware of it, we neglect to ask Him for guidance, for strength, for wisdom, for endurance. We would do better, and I mean this, you would do better to completely neglect your doctor. To completely neglect your bank account than to ignore the fact that God Himself is living on the in, on the inside of you, on, even on Mondays, Christ is living there through the Holy Spirit on in the inside of you. Then think about that. What am I saying there? Not that there's just this little, you know, version of God. I, I remember uh, before I was even a Christian, I went to a youth camp, and I remember that there was this guy, this speaker. I think I've talked about this before at this camp, and he talked about. Um, you know, God and he he spoke to him like he spoke about him like this trying to encourage us to have a relationship with God he said, and and he's my little buddy in my shirt pocket and I'm like, well I don't want to serve your little buddy in your shirt pocket that doesn't appeal to me at all and what I'm telling you this morning is the God that right now according to scripture resides in you is the active agent of all creation the active agent of the coming judgment of God he is the active agent of your salvation you could not be saved the Bible says unless the Holy Spirit had drawn you to Christ and that's the God that lives inside of you not some little buddy in your shirt pocket not the man upstairs but God of all creation is living on the inside of you today is the person by which God is ever present with you. He is the person by which God hears your prayers and comforts your hearts. And He's living right there, right now, if you're truly a believer. So what I want to do this morning, more than anything else, forget everything else I'm going to say this morning if you must, but I want to persuade you, all of you, to seek the Holy Spirit's fellowship and His power. And to do so for this one single reason that you might glorify and behold to look upon Jesus like never before. Because that's the gift He's been given to you for. It's so that you can see Jesus. He'll remind you of everything Jesus said. So Paul prays this in our text this morning that they read to us. That according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power. How? Through His Spirit in your inner being. Paul... Writing this letter to the Ephesians doesn't know of any other way to be strengthened or empowered except by the Holy Spirit. You can memorize Scripture till you're blue in the face. You can listen to your favorite preacher's podcast all day, all night. You can do all kinds of things that otherwise are good things, but without the Holy Spirit, you cannot be strengthened or empowered. He must be, he must be working, he must be personal, and he must be moving, he must be enlightening, he must do the strengthening, he must be the empower. or all those sermons and all that scripture memory isn't gonna mean anything to you. It's, it's God on the inside that makes that effective. It makes it powerful. But there's more. There's more. It's not just the experience of the Spirit standing alone. There's more. What are we being strengthened for? That's the question. And Paul answers it clearly. He says we're being strengthened so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now pause for just a second. Don't let me go too fast for you. Listen to this. Listen to what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that Christ cannot dwell in our hearts by our religious decisions. Christ cannot dwell in our hearts through fervent moral activity. Christ only dwells in our hearts by the activity of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who comes in and prepares a home, who prepares a throne room for for Jesus Christ to dwell in us by faith. Think about that. And that you you may not even be able to grasp the magnitude of that, but most of us have been raised in a theology that says that, that Jesus comes and lives in our hearts by something that we do. And the Bible says that Christ dwells right here. I just read it to you, that Christ dwells in our hearts only by the activity of the Holy Spirit. And that's an important thing to know. Because otherwise you'll have confidence in all your own works. You see, the Spirit, I prayed this earlier, the Spirit is the one who supplies us with the faith whereby Christ lives in us. Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And the Bible tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So we should be aware of and long for the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I hope that that describes you. I hope that you're aware of the, of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And if you're not, that you're longing to be aware. And if, and if that, neither of those apply to you, I pray that before this day is over, when you're alone, after the sermon's long gone, and you're sitting at home, and you, that you would have the courage to say, Holy Spirit, reveal yourself. Make me aware of your working. And and Holy Spirit, increase my desire to see and know you're working in my life. See, the Holy Spirit isn't just an option for someone who wants to change more and more into the very image of Christ. But the Holy Spirit is the only available option for those who want to change more and more into the image of Christ. There is no plan B. There's no secondary route. But interestingly, with that being said, about how the Holy Spirit works, it's interesting to note from Scripture that the Holy Spirit never draws attention to Himself, but to Christ. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit makes us but like Christ by pointing to Him, by helping us to gaze upon Him. And Paul tells us what the goal of this strengthening that he does in our innermost being, what is the goal of that strengthening? Uh, 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 And this is what he tells us. He says, this is the goal, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend... That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Strength to comprehend. I, I, I usually think I either I understand it or I don't. But he's saying you actually need some sort of power, empowering from the Holy Spirit to even understand these things. He says that you would have strength to comprehend all, with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge saying that the thing that you need is you need the power of the Holy Spirit or you will never understand the love of God you will never understand what happened on the cross you will never understand Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so without the power of the Holy Spirit oh you can read it in the Bible, you can read those things but without the Holy Spirit coming alongside to enlighten your mind to, to, to give you the strength to comprehend, it will be utterly meaningless to you Y'all still with me? So the Spirit enables us to be so grounded in the love of God, and and by extension, in love for others, that we begin to understand all the vastness of Jesus's love. When was the last time that you were swept away in a sea of just emotion and and, and trembling before the fact that Jesus has loved you? You know who you are. Uh, You know what you've done. You know the thoughts you've had. You know the the hatred and lust that you've harbored in your uh, your heart. And yet, Jesus, the perfect one, has extended his love for you in spite of all of that. When was the last time you just let that reality roll over you? Just overtake you? That Jesus loves you. Well, you'll never... Have that experience until you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal that reality to you. To really show you what that means. See, the Spirit is always redirecting our eyes to the beauty of the Lord Jesus so that we can know His love in all its fullness and as a result of knowing it, be changed by it. He isn't compelling us to just be good people. The Holy Spirit isn't the little buddy in your pocket that tells you not to do bad things and to do good things. But what He's leading you to do is to know the love of Christ. Paul mentioned spiritual gifts earlier. And I want to blow some of your theology right away to tell you that He's not just leading us to exhibit some power gift like tongues or prophecy for their own sake... The Holy Spirit doesn't come into your life to make you some superstar of spiritual power, but what He does is He comes in that you may know the love of Christ. That's the idea of the Holy Spirit. The churches I grew up in, and many in this day, will point to strange phenomena, and they'll claim that it's the Holy Spirit's work. But the way that we recognize the move of the Spirit in reality is whether or not our hearts are drawn closer to Jesus Christ. That's how we know that the Spirit is really moving among us. And we know Him better and better and better. And this is an important distinction as we consider a couple more of the ordinary means of grace. When we, now, I want to make this clarification I should have made last week. When we talk about means of grace... Think about that word means means to an end. It's a channel. It's a vehicle. When we talk about means means of grace. We can get this false idea that our goal is simply to get more grace. You know, where's the grace store so I can buy a bundle of grace? You know, I got I got. Mark said I got to read my Bible last week so I can get more grace. I got to pray so I can get more grace. But but I I want to make it clear if I didn't last week that grace is not some commodity that we can go out and get or that we need in and of itself. See, what we're really after is power and wisdom from and more intimate fellowship with Jesus himself. When I talk about grace and and finding the means of grace, I'm actually finding a channel that connects me to Jesus. Does that make sense? See, it's it's kind of a Catholic idea that you can receive grace without any kind of connection directly to Jesus. But you can't have grace without Jesus. Grace is not fuel for your spiritual tank. Grace is more like the dew that's left on the grass after Christ rises on us like the morning sun. That's what grace is. Grace is refreshing. Grace is, is the residue of the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what grace is. Catholics believe that there are seven sacraments, baptism, the Eucharist, or communion, uh, confirmation, penance, anointing of the sick, marriage, and ordination. But as Reformed Protestants at Northridge Life, we believe that, that many of these things are biblical in practice. practice. I mean, we're not going to say anything bad about marriage. But, um, We believe they're biblical in practice, but they are not means of grace as we biblically understand grace. We define the sacraments as those things that Christ instituted to draw us closer to Him, to the reality of Him, and to remind us of His nearness, and thereby, by by doing so, they minister grace to us. We recognize two sacraments in this regard, as opposed to the Catholic seven. We recognize baptism and the Lord's Supper, or what we commonly call communion. Both sacraments have several things that make them means of grace. First, they're visible signs of a deep spiritual reality. Now think about it. There's nothing more common than the elements of baptism and the Lord's Supper. There's water, there's bread, there's wine. Could anything be more common? But but these elements that Christ has instituted for us are brimming with grace. And they effectively communicate deep realities that are beyond any mere words. I could, I could tell you the same concepts of baptism and the Lord's Supper, but when they are portrayed before us in, in, with elements and, and with visible means, it's powerful. The sacraments, in fact, have been called dramas or living sermons throughout the history of the church. They show in concrete images what otherwise would just remain abstract. Baptism shows us the cost and the freedom of following Jesus while celebrating his power to complete what he's begun in us. It does all of that. Communion portrays Christ's sacrifice vividly, while also symbolically inviting his church to consume him and to share with others in the body. So let's look at these sacraments and how they're vehicles of Christ's grace to us. First of all, let's talk about baptism. Jesus said, Right? Before his ascension, he said to his disciples, "Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." What Jesus is doing, he's he is connecting our discipleship with an ordinance of baptism. That's interesting to me. Coupled with this command of Jesus tying baptism to genuine discipleship is the fact that in the Book of Acts, if you look at it, read all the way through it, twenty-eight chapters in the Book of Acts, conversion someone coming to Christ and baptism are always linked. You will not find someone coming to Christ and not being baptized. It is an important ordinance that Christ has given the church. And, th- and this is why. Baptism shows that when a person comes to Christ, they are severing all ties to the world they once knew. I often tell people when they're being baptized that, that, that the person that's going into the tank is dying there. And will never see him again. And the person that's coming out is brand new. In fact, I, you know, as most preachers, I have the same joke that I recycle over and over and over. And and I know y'all are all saying, "Yeah, we know." But, but one of the things I always tell people that when they're uh, getting baptized is, I say, "I'll know the sin is gone when the bubbles stop." So anyway, that's that's when I'll let them back up. (laughs) So, but there's a although obviously I've never really waited till the bubbles stop. The the uh, there's a truth to what I'm saying there. There, it, it, the baptism is a statement that I'm severing all ties to the world that they once knew. And, and in this simple moment, a, betru- a, a, a burial, rather, is portrayed in water. That's, that water is a grave, and we're burying that sinner under the water and saying to all the witnesses that are present that the person who went into the water is now dead forever. The Christ, has; they have been, as it says in Romans chapter 6, crucified, and in Galatians chapter 2, with Christ. They Crucified with Christ. Christ died, they died. And that's what baptism signifies. But it goes beyond that. It also shows that a brand new creation, washed clean from all of their sins, has emerged to live, not for former things, but a newness of life for Christ alone. If we just left people under the water, well, you know what would happen. They would drown. They would die. But there's more to baptism. We bring them up out of the water. And they're washed clean. And they they are now, we always tell them that they've been raised to walk in newness of life. What a powerful image that is. How does that communicate God's grace to us? Now we don't believe or teach around here that baptism saves you, so I want to be clear about that. But that your obedience to Christ and being baptized is an indicator that you are truly new. It is hard to put confidence in a person's confession of faith who refuses to be baptized. It's hard because Christ has commanded us to make this proclamation to the world, to make your testimony to the world that you are a follower of Jesus by following Him in baptism. Baptism is a means of grace, therefore, by this reminder. When sin tries to rule you, you can remember what once was. And that thing that once was is now dead because of the cross. And better yet, something better is taking its place because of the resurrection. And so Christ ministers His grace through that visible sign of baptism. Let's move on. Mark fourteen twenty two. We all are familiar with the, with the picture here. It says, And as they were eating, the night before Jesus was crucified, He took bread and after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And He took a cup. And when He had given thanks, He gave it to them and they all drank of it. And then He said to them, This is, the, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace in a number of ways. It's a reminder, first of all, of Christ's suffering for us on the cross. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus tells His disciples to eat the bread, quote, in remembrance of Him. The bread and the cup that we are going to share in just a few minutes it reminds us, it, it paints in a vivid picture for us what Christ did. He meant for the bread to show the breaking of His flesh that would soon transpire. And for the cup to call to mind the shedding of His blood. And He means for it to, uh, to point to the same things for us. Second of all, communion shows us that Jesus was life-giving nourishment for all who would believe. We usually quote in communion, and we will today from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Some people take one of the passages from the Gospels. But I really don't think you can understand the power of communion at all if you don't read John chapter 6. This is a portion of the words that are in John chapter 6. It says, in beginning in verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise... Where. The means of grace is flowing because grace always abounds where Christ is clearly proclaimed. And the last ordinary means of of, of church, we've talked about the Bible, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about the ordinances, the the sacraments. The last ordinary means of grace is the church. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Church is not just somewhere you come and you know, hopefully you're mildly entertained for a little bit. But the but church is a means of grace because it's here where all the other means of grace are manifest. On the birthday of the church, in Acts chapter 2, we see this description of what church life looks like. It says, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, "...and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers." Let's break those down. The Apostles' teaching. It's within the church that God's Word is preached and explained. People can and should read Scripture as individuals, but no one should have private interpretations. Are you hearing me? I cannot say on Thursday in my office, flip over a Scripture and think, I've just figured out something that no one else has ever figured out. I've just landed on something that no one else has ever known. And now I've got this private interpretation, this secret wisdom. Instead, what we do, we do together in the church, in the the investigation, interpretation of Scripture. And we submit our conclusions to other people in the church who are, are also longing to know God and His Word. And that's our best chance of coming to the right conclusions when we do this together. Be very wary, church. Be very wary of someone that tells you they have something that no one else has or no one else has ever stumbled upon. They are liars. Because the Bible says, no scripture is a private interpretation. No scripture. Moving on, fellowship speaks of the, of the grace that flows when the church is gathered. Now listen, I mentioned this earlier. If you want to, you can stop coming to church You can listen to your favorite preachers on YouTube. I listen to a lot of preachers on YouTube. You can pray alone in your prayer closet. You can sit in front of your Bible and come up with all kinds of private interpretations. But you will not know grace until you have linked your soul to a group of people who are just as broken as you are to chase after Jesus in mutual submission one to another. You need the church. You need it. It's not popular to say that these days. What we've done is we've kind of consumerized the church and and turned it into uh, all these reasons why our church is better than their church and and how we're going to meet your felt needs. Listen, you need the the church for all kinds of reasons. We also speak in Acts of the Breaking of Bread, and this is a specific reference to the Lord's Supper. We do not self-serve communion here. What I mean by that is, uh, I've been in churches before where they would have a little station, and if you felt so moved, you could go and take communion and move on with your life, even if no one else wanted to take communion. We do not do that. We also do not baptize ourselves in isolation. I don't go, you know, I need to be baptized. I'm going to go to my bathtub and just dunk myself a couple times and get all the sin out, I guess. We don't do that. There's no biblical warrant for that because these ordinances, the Lord's Supper was given specifically for when the church is gathered together. Baptism was given so that there might be witnesses to your profession of faith in Jesus. They're, they're done in the, in the context of the church. These are means of grace that Christ has ordained for the gathered church and they're given for, to, for us to share the grace of Christ with one another. If I could baptize myself, how would you celebrate that my life has been redeemed from the curse of sin? If you were to, to take communion with one another, how would you share the grace of, of Christ's shed body and blood with, with me? If you're doing it by yourself, we need each other. And lastly, prayers. Again, you can and you should pray alone, but there's nothing more glorious than a church that prays together. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Frankly, Northridge Life Church should be doing a lot more praying together. And this is one of the ways that Christ is given for us to bear each other's burden. So you see that all of the means of grace are met within the body of Christ. But there's so much more. The church exists to encourage the discouraged and to correct the wayward. It provides for the needy, and it instructs the confused. It welcomes the outcast, and it protects the oppressed. It's sad that in America today, the church in so many places has been diminished to a place where you go to hear the music that you like, or hear a preacher that entertains you, instead of being the body of Christ, a selfless body that brings glory to the Savior by sharing grace with one another. We live in a time, in many places, where the body of Christ has been dissected into a collection of dismembered parts, trying to exist on their own. But God is calling us to be one body, and that, the body of none other than Jesus Christ. We're not just a body, we are the body of Christ Functioning, incarnated into the world right now. And that's, it's so important. We are a means together, not alone, together. We are a means of grace to this world. So I just want to tell you, if you're a part of this body, we need you. We need you. Can I let you in on a little secret? You need us too. You may think, you're darn right you need me. But there's two sides to that equation, my friend. You need us too. We need each other. We can't do this alone. If you're not a member of this body, well, heck, we want to invite you to join. Come on. The water's fine. We're having a great time. What I don't want you to do is just float disconnected on the ways of life anymore you need grace and grace is found in connection with other people who are struggling in the same direction that you are listen northridge life church is not a collection of spiritual superstars i can tell you that with confidence because it's not led by a, a spiritual superstar it's a place of people who are struggling in the same direction we're all falling forward towards christ but it's so much better when we're doing it together, amen? So my prayer is that we would all seek all of the ordinary means of God's grace, the Bible, prayer, the Lord's Supper, baptism in the church. And then we, in, in so doing, we would find grace for all of our needs and plenty to spare for anyone who needs it. Let's all stand, and I'm going to invite you to come and receive these elements we've spoken so much about today. So just come on, and and then take them back to your ta- to your chair, and we'll uh, we'll take them together as we partake this morning. Take a moment and think of the things, the reasons we gave why this is a means of grace. It helps us to memorialize the suffering of Jesus that redeemed us. Think about that for a second. Paul called it a cup of blessing. And then he said, both the cup and the bread are participation in the blood of Christ. Through this, Christ is calling you to deep, personal, intimate fellowship with him. Will you accept or will you just consume a cracker and a thimble full of juice? He's calling you to deep personal connection, fellowship with you. What are the needs of your heart? What are the needs of your soul? What are the needs of your body? Christ is here. Christ is here. The Holy Spirit has brought Him to us so that you can fellowship with Him and ask Him what you need. Christ is here. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the night that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup. Now, if anything that I've said is true, can we just pause a moment and thank him for the grace that's coming into our life? Holy Spirit, we thank You that You've empowered a simple symbol, an element or two, to bring Jesus close to us. God, we're not looking for grace as a disconnected commodity. We're looking for the face of Jesus so that we might be changed. And so we thank You for revealing Yourself to us in the bread, revealing Yourself to us in the cup. And we remember this day that You have washed us of our sins, past, present, and future, and that You have established Your reign as Lord over our lives. And Lord, we long for the day when we will share this supper with You. We thank You, Lord, for the the joy of consuming Your flesh and drinking Your blood, that we might have life within ourselves, that You might raise us up in the last day, that You might abide with us. We thank You for that, Lord Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I just want to read this incredible benediction over you from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, neighbor, your, your labor is not in vain. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I bless you. Amen.